The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Are you ready? It's From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our city. What? What's up, everybody? Thank you, Big Poppy. This is our city. It's our town. And listen, whether you're on your way down to the Cape for a barbecue or something, or whether you're stuck on the expressway in traffic, or whether you're fighting the rain on a rainy, cold April day like it is today, it's cool, dude, because you're listening to the Boston Podcast. Pod617.com is where you find us. We're the Boston Podcast Network. This is Dave. The show intro promises a rotating cast of characters, interesting people, and uh, the best we could do today is a divorce lawyer. Oh, no. Sorry, uh, Steve. I'm just kidding. Good friend, crack lawyer, not crack lawyer like crack the drug, although this guy does a lot of things. Who knows? Um, he could defend you in a bunch of different things. But family lawyer extraordinaire, Steve Gurdon is here. Steve, welcome to the show. Good morning, Dave. Um, so... And to be clear, you don't deal with cases involving crack. Although I suppose in divorce law, it could come up here and there in the topsy-turvy world of, of family law. Is that right? See all sorts of things. Nothing scares me. Um, a little closer to the mic. It, okay. it, it's, you know, usually the divorce lawyers are, are louder, so I, I turn down the, the gain. But Steve is, is uh, of the uh, soft-spoken, measured type. Anyway, I wanted to have Steve in here because he is uh, one of the top divorce lawyers in town. And right off the bat, Steve, tell us where people can find you. Um, well, we, I'm a partner at Fitch Law Partners in Boston. Fitch Law Partners. And our website is www.fitchlp.com. Fitchlp.com. Uh, Steve, can, yeah, you can email Steve at seg at fitchlp.com. Is that That's information correct. correct that I have up here on the big board? Yes. Anyway, I want to have Steve on here. He's got, he's got lots of good thoughts on family law, the practice of family law, the way... Email will destroy us all eventually. My word's not his, but the way it's changed things. And uh, a few other, the changing concept of the family. We were actually having a great discussion before this tape even rolled. So um, do you enjoy what you do? Let's start with that. I love it. Uh, Why? Every day is a new day uh, with um, just new clients, Mm -hmm. new cases. Um, It's real people with real problems that uh, challenge myself and my colleagues at the firm to help them solve, advocate, uh, and it's just no two cases are the same. Are you the type of, I mean, there's a word around town uh, occasionally that lawyers will say that there are two types of family lawyers. They're like the conciliatory type and they're the, then there are the pit bull, the pit bulls, you know, the ones that you, when you really want to go to war. Is that a myth or is there something to that? Um, there's some truth to that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I view family law in the first instance as a problem-solving exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's not rocket science. Uh, mm-hmm. The law, more often than not, is pretty well settled on the issues. Mm-hmm. What complicates it and maybe protracts it, makes it unnecessarily uh, more expensive, uh, is the cast of characters that get involved in the case, whether it's the litigants themselves 
the lawyers. Right. Um, I would say that more often than not, it's it's not the lawyers that are overcomplicating the case. It's actually the litigants. Really? Yeah. Because emotion gets involved because they can't see the forest for the trees. Absolutely. All those apply, right? Yeah, it, it's it's emotionally driven. I mean, in a complicated divorce matter, the things that are most important to the people are at issue, whether right. it's their children, their money, their assets, their income, uh, and you can take all of those sort of factors and then you compound it with the fact that something caused the breakdown in that marriage mm -hmm. and the heartache that may be associated with the breakdown, whether someone had a relationship outside the marriage, whether someone's struggling with alcohol dependency or drug dependency, um, you know, or whether it was just simply the stress of a situation in the marriage that broke it down. I mean, there's so many yeah. elements to the breakdown of a marriage. So when you, you take the, the, the family drama and what caused the breakdown, and you combine it with what's actually at issue, it, it's like a boiling pot of water just overboiling. Yeah. Now, now, we know that the attorney-client privilege is a thing that's taken very seriously. So people can, with, with certain restrictions, people can tell you whatever they want to tell you, and, and you will keep it private as their lawyer. A lot of these things you've just mentioned are very private things. Uh, do people tend to offer that right away, or is, are those things that sometimes you sort of sniff out, like you're listening to the story? That, that's a great question. Yeah. Um, I generally start every initial meeting with a new client with the same sentence. Mm -hmm. Your secrets are safe with me. Mm. And uh, and I encourage them to tell me their story. Sounds like a mafia movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I realize it's not. Go um, ahead. But I'm, you know, when a person comes in for an initial consultation and they're exploring a divorce or they know they're going to get divorced, uh, they get to me, you know, through either a referral network or they heard about me or whatever it may be. And I'm, if, a, I'm a stranger to that. Even if they haven't officially hired you yet, first conversation you tell them. Is I, that, yeah, yeah, I mean, what, what I generally do is with a new client who you know contacts the firm after we run our internal conflicts checks, just to make sure there's no potential conflict of interest with us potentially representing the person. We invite the person in for an initial consultation. Got it. Um, <clears throat> Sometimes that's done over the phone, you know, depending if someone's, you know, just not able to come into the office. But I generally don't like to have substantive conversations about very intimate things with people over the phone who are strangers to me. So I, I, I want to sit down with them in the first instance and try to put them at ease mm -hmm. um, and explain to them that their secrets are safe with me um, and that if they can tell me their story... Uh, in a way that is complete, it puts me in a better position to advise them and potentially represent them um, and, you know, trying to draw out from them the relevant facts. So usually what happens is when someone comes in for an initial consultation, I usually meet with them for an hour or two. Right. Um, I encourage them to tell me their story and I make it clear that I'm going to be interrupting them along the way and filling in the gaps uh, because I'll know what's more relevant versus maybe what's really not that relevant in, in the bigger picture of the divorce. But I think it puts people at ease if they can just tell me their story uh, mm -hmm. without me peppering them with lots of questions. Right. And I, I, give the, I give them a choice. I said, I can pepper you with a lot of questions. I'm a lawyer. I'm good at asking questions. Yeah, right. uh, but I'd rather just hear your story. Mm -hmm. And I try to you know, guide them a bit and maybe say, you know, start from when you met your spouse mm -hmm. and put it in a chronology and, oh. and they walk you through, you know, what could be a very long-term marriage and, uh, right. um, and, and milestones that happened in the relationship and things like that. And it, 
those stories can be rough, I imagine, and yet and yet probably cathartic for the person. You're not a therapist, you're a lawyer, but it's important for you to hear those, I take it, because that previews the case to come for you, that previews the things that you need to know to properly defend the person. And I take it listening is important because they'll mention things that you're like, oh, wait a minute, tell me about that. Yeah, so I, I generally don't do a lot of note-taking mm-hmm. at the first meeting. Uh, I like to just listen. Mm-hmm. It's active listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a memory like an elephant, so usually what I do is uh, right after the meeting ends, I will remember the highlights of the discussion, jot those down, and dictate just an internal memorandum you know, that we'll keep at the office, whether we ultimately you know, represent the person beyond the initial consultation or not, but it'll be archived that this person came in, had a limited attorney-client relationship for the purpose of a divorce consultation, and the highlights of that meeting, you know, were memorialized, you know, in an internal memo. Yeah. Um, but it's, but I think it's what's important for the person who's coming in is that, you know, very often they're extremely anxious. Um, if this is the first time they're exploring a divorce, something probably happened that got them to the point where right. they've been in an unhappy marriage. But maybe it was sort of the classic straw that broke the camel's back, mm-hmm. uh, or they had that epiphany that I need to end the marriage, I need to get out of this marriage for whatever reason. So the fact that they actually took the step, placed the call, came into my office and met with me, for them, that's such a huge event more often than not. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sensitive to that. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm all ears. Uh, I, I try to understand their circumstances as best I can. Uh, ask them questions along the way. And then depending upon the situation, I may very well offer them advice in that first meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, it is an attorney-client relationship at that point. You know, it, we, we charge for a consultation, sure, um, but the engagement's limited to a consultation. But ethically, that allows me then to offer advice to the person because lawyers can't advise non-clients. Right. That's why um, Jimmy McGill in the groundbreaking show Breaking Bad insisted that Walter and Jesse give him a dollar um, in, while they had him tied up in, the, in a ditch somewhere. Uh, the attorney-client relationship attached, and thus they were able to tell him all the horrible things that they were doing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> were you a fan? No? no. Breaking Bad? No. No? No. 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 Oh, okay, well, put that on your list for crying out loud. <laughs> so we were talking um, before we started re- recording about you know, how far we've come on the twists and turns in family law in the definition of, of family in your world and the way that clients communicate with you. And a lot of good things came up. You started as a lawyer in 94, did I hear you say? That's that, right. I came to the okay. bar in December of 1994. I graduated law school in the spring of 1994. Okay. That's uh, a year after I graduated from BU Law School, tallest law school in the nation, remains, I believe. Uh, but... And I started at Lawyers Weekly in '95, so like you as as a lawyer on the you know in the trenches, and me as a wise guy, you know, tapping on a keyboard um, across town. <laughs> we've seen a lot of stuff. You mentioned email first, and email electronic communication. How that has just changed in so many ways. Give us a couple examples of like what life was like back then. Yeah, no, um, I mean from the practitioner's perspective. Uh, I do believe the biggest change in, in my practice over 25 years is technology mm. and mainly email communication and texting. Um, and its its impact is multifaceted. I mean, in my personal it's life... It's multifaceted, but it's all bad. Let's be well, clear. Exactly. <laughs> <What? No. laughs> 
Maybe not necessarily, but but it's it's the, there was an element, that, and I'm sorry, I'm I'm jumping in here, Steve, but um, just to like further set the stage, you mentioned the the sort of, not so much dearth of technology, but where technology was in the mid '90s. Um, you might have made a mention to something similar, but I remember when I started at Lawyers Weekly in 1995, we didn't have. Uh, Windows, meaning Microsoft Windows, we had it was DOS based, which uh, a lot of people listening today don't don't even know what that is. Let's just say it, you could only type words on the screen. There were no pictures. Th- there was no color, you know, and um, and email was internal. And I think you mentioned that at your office as well. That's right. I mean, email was just a limited internal communication. Um, you know, it wasn't this access over the internet of email communication. And obviously, you know, in 25 years, that's changed, you know, dramatically. And it's, it's impacted the practice, you know, from the practitioner's perspective, uh, I, I think it's impacted it positively and negatively. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, positively, it, it allows us to be accessible to our clients in a way that w- we have not been able to, you know, prior to that. It's just 24-7, whether it's an email communication or a text communication, and it allows us to be available to our clients no matter where, where we are in the world. And, and no matter where they are in the world. And I have clients who live overseas and travel, you know, the world for business. And just to be able to communicate with them so easily. Right. You know, I've had, I had a client recently was, you know, communicating with me initially on email. And he was in China on business. And he was on one of these. I've never been to China, but he was on one of these speed bullet trains. Right. And we're going back and forth. And then he emails me and says, hey, can I give you a quick call? Right. So I said, sure. Yeah. So he calls me, I guess, from his cell phone from the speed train in China, and he's, it literally sounded like he was in the office next to me. It's crazy. It's just amazing. And yeah. so that, that's just a dramatic change. Now, the negative side to that is, you know, as a practitioner, you, you, you sort of lose the opportunity to break away from your day-to-day work and not be interrupted maybe with your family, you know, on vacation, yeah. you know, at your kid's sporting event. Yeah. Um, but, you know, having a very busy practice at the firm, you know, there's eight family law attorneys. I'm the most senior partner in the group. I've got a very busy family life with three very active kids who play tons of sports. My iPhone becomes my portable office. And, right. I, and I can, you know, work from anywhere often uh, as a result of it. So it gives me a lot of flexibility, like a lot of people out there professionally now. I mean, the world works remotely now. Sure. And, and so do I. I mean, to the extent that I'm in my office a lot. But but very often I'm working remotely and and can do that uh, whether it's you know being out of state on vacation you know and and that that that's that's the big change you know on the technology front you know as far as the day to day practice right yeah it's it's we take for granted a lot of things that we didn't used to be able to do you know you're um, you're watching your kid play soccer. And you realize your kid's dying to go see the new Captain Marvel movie, but it's probably going to be sold out at the local theater. So what do you do during a timeout? Hopefully you start clicking on your phone, click, click, click. You just bought, you know, four tickets and hopefully the comfy reclining kind. And uh, there are other things like I'll, I'll, I'll remember one day, I'll, you know, crap, I forgot to pay my rent. Click, 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 pay my rent. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's stunning. Hi, everybody. I'm Chami DePerel. Let me take a minute to tell you about the Boston Podcast Network. How would you like your own podcast? The Boston Podcast Network can produce one for you. Whether you're a lawyer, financial advisor, business owner, or really any kind of professional, you should have your voice heard through this exciting new medium. 
A good podcast is more powerful than traditional advertising. If a prospective client hears your podcast through their earbuds, you're already in their head. Literally, pod617.com will help you deliver a message and build relationships. Clients and centers of influence will delight in being a guest on your show. Go to pod617.com to start planning. And in the meantime, listen to the great shows they've already produced. The Irreverent Bitchless Bride Podcast, the hilarious show known as Shawshanked, and the wild trip through the paranormal that is Monsterland. Be part of the pod revolution. Visit pod617.com. In pod, we trust. Does email get people interested? Um, this is Captain Obvious question. Leading, I'm leading the witness here. Does it, <laughs> does it, does it get people in trouble in in divorce cases and maybe give us a couple of examples. Cause I wrote, I wrote, um, a column for lawyers weekly and it was probably like 98, 99, something like that. And I think the title said email is evil. And it was just about how there had already been a number of cases where a stray email, uh, sent to the wrong person resulted in, um, you know, attorneys being disciplined resulted in, a, a major corporate, you know, case turning and and costing people money. But sure. let me. Let, I'd love to hear what you have to say. Yeah, electronic communication comes up all the time in the practice. Um, it. I can give so many examples, but mm. here are just a few. Um, you know, persons are communicating. Maybe spouses are communicating with each other via email, and it creates an exact record mm. of what the communication was. There's no longer a he said, she said re- regarding the communication. And you know, it could be something related to the children, could be relevant in a child custody dispute. Even just the tone of the email, the, the verbiage in the email could be very relevant to a judge or a court-appointed investigator in a child custody dispute where someone's writing to their spouse in a very disrespectful way. So your life becomes under a microscope with these email communications. No, Your Honor, Your Honor, when I called her a raving bitch, that's just my term of endearment for her. There must be so much uh, people trying to weasel their way out of you know the tone yes. of an email is always. Um, but go yeah, ahead, Steve. I know, and then I, you know, in other sort of context, which you know, I think over the years this has gotten sort of a lot of publicity. I've seen articles where. Um, email communication, and then you combine it with things like Facebook, and then oh, you combine yeah. it with people having relationships outside their marriage mm-hmm. and rekindling an old relationship with like a high school boyfriend or girlfriend. Yeah. And then there's a whole record of it. It's all yeah. electronically stored data. And then you have situations where, you know, the family's in the cloud and they're all seeing each other's communications on their iPads. Oh, God. But maybe one spouse isn't really very sophisticated with that and doesn't realize that their other spouse is seeing certain things or that things aren't password protected or even if they are, everyone knows the passwords. Yeah. So it creates, um, you know, a situation where, uh, especially when there's been extramarital relations, uh, much, much more often than not, it was either discovered because of electronic communications and or confirmed as a yeah. result of electronic communications. Um, yeah. I mean, it's and it's stunning how people don't still to this day don't understand that, that or, or, or are cavalier about the fact that oh, I can put this on Facebook. It's no problem. Um, you know, I know people that are married and maybe going through some stuff and maybe rumors of seeing somebody else and you go on Facebook and there's the person with the somebody else right on Facebook and I say to myself what the hell are you doing putting that on there and the person's probably thinking oh no big deal it's it's just me with this person but gee whiz I mean um, so brash and 
there's also the element of like what you said about sh- the ever the family sharing the cloud like um I once discovered that I was getting my son's texts and he was and thus I presume he was getting my texts and I panicked and it, it's not like I'm a drug dealer or anything but I you know I don't want people t- I don't want my son seeing everything that I'm texting to people I mean you know I'm a clown I could be <laughs> I could be telling a really bad uh, offensive joke to someone uh, of course uh, as far as uh, but as far as you know listeners I've never done that ever but um, and then there's the other the, the location services that that uh, I'm using that as sort of an umbrella term um, that's the term that the iPhone iPhone uses but uh, yeah I read something uh, recently that says there's a place on your iPhone you can go and look and see what places you've most frequently been well imagine if you're a man or a woman who's going outside of the marriage to, uh, <laughs> another relationship and there's a record on your phone of you going over to uh, your pal's house there, you know. That must happen too, right? It does. It does. It's I scary. Mean, it, there's so many ways that you can be discovered. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. And it, it, it's, just, it's creepy how, you know, you know you'll take a, take a photo of, like, me and a buddy at um, uh, Patriot Place or kind of overlooking the stadium there, and immediately the Facebook says – um, you were at Patriot Place. Like, just check here to confirm. And like, how did you know Facebook? Is <laughs> that recognize like the the background, or or it was actually the the GPS function of the phone? Ugh, scary. Well, it's it's given a new definition of getting your hand caught in the cookie jar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the electronic cookie jar. Yep. Um, yeah. Sometimes I think we've just gone too far. Like, my computer is doing all kinds of things I never asked it to do. Like, stop. I'll let you know if you want me to sync. When my son my son uh, calls me every day about two forty five p.m. and here in the studio I've got my laptop set up and I've got my phone here and I've typically got an iPad uh, as well. I didn't ask to sync all these things, but when he calls me, he FaceTimes me. All three light up like a pinball machine. It's like it, it, it looks like um, I'm uh, like there's incoming bombs or something on the on the system. Anyway, so Steve, we got other thing, a couple other things to talk about. So. Um, the, this is interesting to me because I remember reporting on this a lot at Lawyers Weekly, but when um, back in the, I guess it may have started in the 90s or 2000s or whatever, the, our state started taking a hard look at the definition of the family. I think it's one of the legacies of former uh, Supreme Court Justice, uh, Justice, oh, geez, I can't believe, I haven't been removed from Lawyers Weekly that long. I already forgot the name of our state's highest court. The Supreme Judicial Court's Chief Justice Margaret Marshall. She talked about definition of family. So um, it's impossible to summarize in a few minutes, but let's try. So tell us how you've seen it, You and you've been right there working with families that are dissolving, families that are preparing, also planning and adopting and all that kind of stuff. How has it changed? Yeah, so, I mean, the, the definition of family over the 25 years of my practice has obviously broadened enormously uh, as a result of, you know, our society. Um, uh, you know, in Massachusetts, uh, with the uh, gay marriage being mm-hmm. recognized, uh, uh, that was a significant, obviously, change in our law. And uh, mm-hmm. Margaret Marshall was chief justice of the SJC and, and uh, authored that decision, the Goodrich decision. Um, Great decision. And I, I actually like the concurring... Uh, opinion by John Granny. I mean, I like I like them both. They're like my favorite uh, SJC opinion. Important law, needless to say. But John Granny had a quote in his concurring opinion that said something like um, how it was sort of 
patently uh, bigoted to exclude gay people from something that is so important to our society. And he wrote, and I'm paraphrasing, these people are the people that we see every day in the supermarket, at church, at temple, on the athletic fields. And to suggest that they need to play by a different set of rules is, you know, wrong or whatever. He said it far more eloquently. Anyway, that was huge. that was so huge, and and people really didn't see it coming. I don't know if everyone remembers when the opinion first came out. In fact, there was controversy as to what it actually meant because the court had put in a line at the end that said something to the effect that we give the legislature, you know, um, uh, 180 days or something to pass regulations to conform with this opinion, and all the court meant was you're going to need a few new forms here and there, right? right. Because <laughs> And what people took that to mean is, oh, the legislature needs to fix this, so we set up civil unions instead of marriages. It's really not what they meant at all. Anyway. No, um, that's right. Yeah. And um, so another significant change, you know, over my 25 years of practice is the concept of a de facto parent. Sure. Um, and, you know, this is a situation where uh, as a result of a person's relationship uh, with a child, although they may not be legally linked to the child by way of adoption or by biologically linked uh, to the child, they, uh, they have had a relationship with the child that rises to a level that the court will recognize it as what we call a de facto parent and establish uh, custodial rights uh, for that adult with the child. Um, and that was, that's a significant change uh, in our law. Um, the, uh, you know, one area where, you know, and I've had some cases in this area where the law doesn't feel like it's caught up um, is at some level how we treat uh, unwed fathers mm -hmm. uh, versus married fathers in child custody disputes. Okay. Um, and our statutory law uh, is, is different in that regard. It treats an unwed father. It doesn't provide him the same rights that a married father would in the first instance when looking at a, a child custody uh, situation. And in a society where there are so many children now born to unwed parents, mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, you know, many feel that an unwed father shouldn't have to uh, be treated differently in the first instance as a wed father to, uh, to a child. Hmm. Um, and in effect, rebut a presumption uh, in an in inverse way. For example, an, an, an unwed father needs to prove there's a substantial relationship with the child. And in, 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 in certain other uh, factors to consider to allow that person to then have a right to co-decision make with the biological mother. Is that right? I guess so, I never knew that. So in, in Massachusetts, a lot of people don't know this. Yeah. When, when a child's born out of wedlock to unmarried persons, uh, until a court orders otherwise, the mother is the sole decision maker for the child wow. on issues of – uh, health care, education, religious upbringing, all legal custodial rights. Mm -hmm. And when a child's born to a married couple, both parties have those rights. Right. And so a lot of times, you know, people don't realize this. Uh, parties may be in an intact family but not actually married. Hmm, right. And then the right. relationship breaks down and they never formalized the the the, custod the parental rights and dad doesn't realize he needed to do that exactly yeah and and then dad you know a few years later the relationship breaks down and he learns that he actually has no legal rights as far as decision making with respect to this child until a court orders them and uh, and he has to meet certain requirements in order to achieve those orders mm -hmm. so 
that that's a bit controversial. Uh, it's you know a lot of states out there have moved away from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had some cases in the office where we um, are, have sought to challenge the state constitutionality of uh, that law uh, under the equal protection clause of both the Massachusetts state constitution and 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 the United States constitution that the law is treating unwed fathers uh, you know, differently than wed fathers unnecessarily. Wow. Um, those cases that we've had have not yet gotten you know, to the appellate level to try to make new law, mm-hmm. but there's been you know, scholarly writings about this issue in Massachusetts, and it's just another example of the law evolving to catch up you know, with society and, and what has become societal norm. Yeah, yeah. So just hypothetically, say I'm uh, an unmarried dad, and we're just chit-chatting, hey, what do you do for a living? I'm a family lawyer, blah, 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 and this, for some reason this comes up. And, you know, you say you're not going to push your services or advice on anyone, but this guy becomes aware. It's like, holy crap, like, um, you know, things are really great with me and Sandy and and our son, but we're not married. Should I be worried? What what could I possibly do to protect myself in case, you know, things go sour and I I still want to be able to have a say in, in the future of my son and how he's cared for? Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's a legitimate conversation. And, and, and that person pr- probably doesn't realize the, the law because they may be incorrectly assuming that because their name is on the child's birth certificate yeah. that these other rights have established. The child's got my name. Exactly. Yeah. But, but believe it or not, the rights have not been established. Wow. And so, you know, someone in that set of circumstances, if they were concerned about it, uh, it would be prudent to memorialize the, an agreement with their partner. And, and then have, you know, through our court system, uh, that agreement incorporated into a judgment in the probate and family court, just establishing custodial rights. That could be a delicate conversation. But, it could be. But my hypothetical guy and his wife, Sandy, if they're getting along so swimmingly, hopefully. But, the, I mean, really, mom holds the cards, though, right? She, she has does. to agree to it. Wow. Yeah. How about that? How she about does. that? Will this, will this, if you had to predict 10, 20 years from now, will this still be the law? Or will this be something that shakes out? I think it's going to shake out differently over time. Okay. It'll either, you know... Maybe through our appellate courts, um, uh, but eventually maybe the legislature, because there's just so many children being born to un- unwed uh, parents. And you know, and one of the things I'm seeing in the probate and family court on this issue is over 25 years that probate and family court justices are, are much more quickly ready to enter a joint legal custodial arrangement at the trial court level than I think they were 20 years ago when a child's born out of wedlock. Because mm-hmm. I think the, the judges are sensitive to the fact that this is a new norm in our society. These are unwed people very often living together, you know, having children together, and then relationships break down and they never married. Mm-hmm. And that you know, maybe for the first 18 months or two years of the child's life, this dad was the one bringing the child every morning to child care, was getting up in the middle of the night and feeding the child. And uh, and then you know, like a lot of relationships, it broke I did down. that, by the way. Right, we all did. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my um, uh, mom did not uh, nurse, and therefore I had no excuse not to get up. Oh my God, you, you, I, I have these flashbacks of opening that big can of Enfamil. I don't know if you guys did formula. Yes. Big cans of Enfamil, and you got to pop the thing and. I usually did it incorrectly because it's three in the morning and I'm just trying to get my kid back to sleep. And well, I, I jokingly said to yeah. my oldest kid, actually just the other day, uh, uh, that he's now a teenager, and I was watching the golf network with him. Yep. And he, he loves the golf. And uh, 
if you were watching some obscure golf tournament in Asia on uh, the Golf Network. And I jokingly said to him that when he was a baby, I can recall sitting on the couch at 3 o'clock in the morning, giving him a bottle, mm-hmm. and watching the Golf Network. <laughs> right, right. That's funny. Yeah. I remember uh, I was watching HBO, and it was like, you know, before the days of on-demand, you were kind of victim of whatever was on HBO at the time. And I swear, for a full week straight, Boys in the Hood was on HBO at like 2 a.m. every night. And uh, I, I uh, you know... I don't know if my child's eyes had developed well enough that he could see all the way to the TV screen. That was my, my way of getting around it, that I wasn't poisoning him so early with uh, a movie about gang violence. I was just, uh, you know, opening him up to uh, filmmaking, the joy of filmmaking. And um, so uh, I'm sorry, Adrian, for showing you Boys in the Hood five days in a row. Anyway, we're up against the clock here, Steve. Um just to make sure everyone knows, you can reach Steve. You can check out the website at fitchlp.com, fitchlp.com. And d- your firm does other stuff, right? Yes. So, um, you know, we're uh, uh, a boutique litigation firm. Uh, we have 24 lawyers at the firm. We've been in business for approximately 35 years. And our practice makeup is generally just complex litigation matters. And that is in the area of family law and probate disputes. It's uh, in the area of commercial and business disputes, both domestic and international arbitration, mm-hmm. uh, banking litigation, uh, white collar, uh, criminal defense work and government investigation, investigative work. We oh, work see, it comes full circle. If you yes. are caught with uh, some crack in your car, just uh, call, <laughs> call Steve's office. He, you can have a conversation about how to properly defend that claim. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> did, did, did we finish the roster stuff that you guys do? Um, we also yeah. do real estate litigation. Anything basically you could imagine where there's a dispute um, in, 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 in the business commercial type world, um, that's what we handle. And Steve is top notch. Do you mind if people like connect with you on LinkedIn and such if they hear you on this podcast? That's fine. Or, yeah. or send me an email. You know, uh, I'm, I'm very responsive to my emails. Send Steve an email that you, you heard him. He picks up his phone at 2 a.m., people. So, um, And then he still finds time to go to the kids' games. Don't worry, everybody. He does it all. S-E-G at FitchLP.com is Steve's email address. S-E-G at FitchLP.com. Before we go, uh, we talked about uh, before we started recording what you had for breakfast, and you said hard-boiled egg. I had a hard-boiled egg yesterday, and I've actually discovered a new way to cook them that makes my life easier, and I'm going to tell you in a moment. But first, do you have any tricks tricks of the trade for preparing the hard-boiled egg? It's supposed to be a simple thing, but it's not always a simple thing. Sometimes they're hard to peel. Sometimes they're a little too hard-boiled, a little too soft-boiled. So my trick is that my dear wife, Lisa, (laughs) makes the hard-boiled egg. Shout out, Lisa. (laughs) Shout out to Lisa. Um... So well, I, and and and, and when the, I do peel them, they peel easily. So I I'll have to get back to you, David, with whatever Lisa's trick is. Yeah, well, I used to do it, and like I was fifty fifty on peeling it. Well, if you ever try to open a hard boiled egg that is the hard hard to peel, it, it is one of the most frustrating things in the world because the egg starts coming off, and then by the time you're done, you're left with like basically the yolk, and and that's not what you wanted in the first place. So here's the trick. I heard this somewhere, and I tried it, and it works. It takes a little extra time, but the actual stuff you do is easier. You take one of those muffin trays, like that you make muffins and cupcakes in, right? And you want to do a dozen, do the full lot. Just put the egg, no water, just the egg as it is. Take it right out of the carton. Put it. Put put your 12 eggs in those 12 little, you know, uh, places on the muffin tray. 
and you just bake it at 325 degrees for 25 to 30 minutes, your results may vary. But and then as soon as you take it out, you you get get yourself uh, you know a bowl of uh, ice water and you shock them, you throw them in there, and uh, you know uh, wait five minutes and the it comes the the. the <laughs> God, I can't speak this morning. I, I, maybe uh, I didn't have my hard-boiled eggs. I need that protein running through. Uh, the shells come right off, and they're perfect. Every once in a while, you get a little burn mark on the, the actual naked egg there. But that makes it reminds you that you're eating a delicious baked egg. Um, I hope I haven't lost you, listeners. I hope you enjoy, enjoyed yourself, uh, Steve. You learn a little something on the Boston Podcast. You know, I mean, uh, everybody likes eggs, right? Did you enjoy yourself, Steve? Oh, it was great. Good to see you, David. Great to see you as well. Uh, Steve Garden, uh, family lawyer extraordinaire. Check him out. Uh, network. By the way, uh, Steve, just before we went on the air, we started talking. Steve knows everybody in town. I couldn't stump him with anybody that I know that he doesn't. So it's, he's a great guy to know. Network with Steve. Learn about what he does. And become a better person professional yourself. That's how it's done. Thanks for listening to the Boston Podcast. All prior episodes episodes all prior episodes located at pod617.com the boston podcast network if you'd like your own podcast we can produce one for you here at our westwood studios go on pod617.com there are plenty of buttons to click to get started and talk to us and visit us here and become a podcast star yourself for steve garden this is david yaz i'm just a guy from boston but if you're not from boston you must be the other guy (laughs) 